Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million, and this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. And this is just your friendly reminder that if you're really missing us during the days after you've finished the most recent episode, you can get more Name Three Songs content by joining our Patreon community. We have a Discord and we have bonus episodes and other fun stuff. So you can go sign up at patreon.com slash name three songs for bonus Sarah and Jenna in your life. Or if you just like to give us a tip because you really liked today's episode, you can do so at paypal.me slash name three songs okay so sarah before we get into it i have a question for you okay (laughs) i feel like we might have touched on this before but i honestly can't remember so i have to know were you a jesse mccartney girl obviously i was a jesse mccartney girl i was obsessed with jesse mccartney i made my own posters of jesse mccartney i was so obsessed with him because there weren't enough so i would print out screenshots from music videos and i like glue together my own collages of jesse mccartney i watched summerland which was the worst tv show in all existence because jesse mccartney was in it this man ruled my whole life I have a poster that on the bottom of it had a prediction of when we were going to get married. (laughs) Were you a Justin Bieber girl? No. I mean, sort of. Not really. I was too old for Justin Bieber, but... My freshman year of college, when I was in college in America, my friends and I went and saw whatever his first movie was. And I was so blown away by that movie that everybody was like, wow, Sarah's in love with Justin Bieber. And for my birthday, (laughs) which happened like a week after that movie came out, my friends printed out a life-size photo of Justin Bieber and hung it up on my dorm room door. (laughs) Wow. Amazing. Because I was just like, wow, this is iconic. Were you a Justin Bieber girl? I feel like you're no. the right age demo that you could have been. Yeah, no, no. I was the right age demo, but I was not. I think I was very, like, anti-Justin Bieber. But then One Direction <laughs> came around and I was like, amazing. But I was a Jesse McCartney girl. He was my first I celebrity crush. But I was, <laughs> I was like, too young to be that involved with fandom at that time. Like, I had his CD and I loved his music videos and that was basically it. I missed out on Justin Bieber. There were other girls in my grade who were like the Justin Bieber girls and everyone knew it. (laughs) (laughs) But not me. I was too cool for that. I love that. But anyways, a lovely precursor to this conversation. What are we talking about today, Sarah? Oh my god, we're talking about a topic that I am so passionate about that I think I've mentioned it in almost every episode where we talk about men. You you mentioned it so much that I was like, all right, we just need to dedicate a whole episode to this. Because I'm so passionate about the fact that this exists. So we are talking about my favorite ex-teen male singing star trope, which is the justified album syndrome. (laughs) And for those of you who need a bit of context, Justified was Justin Timberlake of NSYNC's first ever solo album. And Justified was Justin Timberlake trying so hard to differentiate himself from the like ramen haired boy from NSYNC. Ugh. This album is literally just a bunch of songs that Michael Jackson was like, no, I'm too talented to sing these. And because Justin Timberlake sang them, everybody was like, wow, the white Michael Jackson, which we're gonna get into a bit more later. So essentially, this Justified album was kind of setting the precedent for how to get rid of the teeny bopper boy band image. 
Yeah, so it's literally just like Justin Timberlake, with the help of Pharrell and Timbaland, created the blueprint of how to escape fangirls and become an overtly sexualized being that is fantasized by fangirls, but just older ones, so like it's less creepy. And accepted by men. (laughs) And another common theme of the Justified album is a boy bander leaning very hard into R&B style music that might not necessarily suit this person's vocal range or abilities. So there's a lot of check marks, and unfortunately every single white man on this list checks them off. Was like, heck yes, I want to be Michael Jackson. I deserve to be Michael Jackson. And I know Michael Jackson has his own qualms, but in the history of music, the only person that deserves to be Michael Jackson is Michael Jackson. None of these men could ever amount to the skill set of Michael Jackson. So this is a very common theme that has been done by lots of stars. So we're going to be going through some of your guys' favorite men. So unlike normal, where we sort of go chronologically, today we are going in the most overt sexualized albums to like somebody just sort of easing themselves into being viewed as a sexual being by the general public. (laughs) Just like an acceptable amount. Just dipping a toe into the sexy waters. (laughs) Today is going to be a very fun adventure for everyone. We're going to start this off with the patron saint of Justifieds, which would be, of course, Justin Timberlake. So Justin Timberlake was born in 1981 in Memphis, Tennessee. So this young boy has always his whole life been like, ah yes, I shall be Elvis Presley one day. That's the goal. That's the dream. So he is a pageant boy. He's raised in the pageants. He's dressing like a sexy cowboy at the age of eight, putting on all these crazy shows, trying to get found and to become famous. And so Justin Timberlake, obviously we've mentioned before that like his first little taste of fame was doing the Mickey Mouse Club in the early 90s. That show got canceled, and then he needs somewhere to go. So one thing leads to another, and in 1995, Justin Timberlake joins the boy band NSYNC, which existed solely to make Lou Pearlman money. And we have a whole other episode all about boy bands with Maria Sherman. You can go back and find that if you haven't listened to it and get more details. Yeah, Lou Pearlman's a creep. So NSYNC breaks up at the start of 2002. They go on an indefinite hiatus, so to speak. And in November of 2002, Justin Timberlake gives the world Justified his first solo album and his journey into the world of being viewed as the sexy man he so dearly wants to be viewed as. So the Justified album earned four Grammy nominations, including Album of the Year and one for Best Pop Vocal Album. It debuted at number two on the US Billboard 200 and sold 439,000 copies in its first week. And it's been certified three times platinum by the recording industry. As of 2012, the album sold over 10 million copies. And it is worth noting, as Sarah said, this was kind of a quick turnaround putting out the album in the same year. And that's because they wrote and recorded in six weeks. But Justin didn't do this alone. I'm shocked by all those stats because I feel like based on a lot of these reviews, it seemed like 
the people that quote-unquote mattered were like, nah, thanks. But I guess it was also so close off the back of the breakup with Britney Spears that I think that there was probably so much pop culture conversation going on that it was inevitable for the album to do well. But the reason why this album was able to be recorded so quickly is because the album was mostly written before it came into existence in Justin Timberlake's life. So in 2020, Pharrell confirmed to Billboard that he had actually written most of the album for Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson was like, no thanks, I don't want this. And so it's interesting because, and this is where like the internet sort of fails us because obviously this album came out in 2002. There's not a lot of stuff going on. And lots of the articles that we found, it's saying that Justin had co-writing credits and did all this stuff. But then if you look at the writing credits on the album, Justin's not listed as writing. He's like composed vocals and stuff, but he hasn't written the lyrics apparently. But I like don't, 100% know what to believe or not, but I do know that these songs already mostly existed prior to Justin having them. I mean, it's interesting, like, as we go through some of the reviews today about these albums and people criticizing them one way or another, I started to realize that a lot of albums review fail to recognize the team that's written on them. I think more recently, that's a thing. But when they're criticizing them, it's like, Justin Timberlake actually didn't write that much. So you're really criticizing the writers of these songs. And it is funny that he got so many Michael Jackson comparisons since this album was literally written for Michael Jackson. And they just put like (laughs) a white boy on the front of it. Also, I think this goes back to the thing of like, when you achieve like a certain level of success and fame, you kind of, I don't want to say you get things handed to you, but in this case, it's like he had this album essentially handed to him of it was already written they just needed somebody to sing it so how much credit can we really give his creative process on this i don't know (laughs) it is interesting because we did manage to find some articles from 2002 including two reviews of the album one from rolling stone and by ben ratliff where he not only says that justin's voice like minimalism is influenced by michael jackson which i think is interesting because Also, I'm sure, like, Justin was told that these songs were originally created for Michael Jackson to some degree, so I think that that was probably already in his head, but my favorite thing that Ben Ratliff said in this Rolling Stone review is that the album's lyrics invoke scenes of the tenderest understanding here of full-on booty calls. (laughs) And I just think that that's so funny. But then also in 2002, Caroline Sullivan for The Guardian wrote an article, and this is where we start to see the acknowledgement of the R&B sort of style. And so what she says at the start of this review is, some say in all seriousness that this album of generic R&B crotch grabbing will establish Britney's former squeeze as the new Michael Jackson. Once again, the comparison. Then she goes, others aim even higher. In the opening, Senorita Timberlake is introduced thus. He goes by the name of Justin, all the way from Memphis, Tennessee. And then Caroline acknowledges, like, any similarity to the other single-name superstar from Memphis is presumably uncoincidental. So that's her poking fun at Justin for trying to be like Elvis, which I love. Caroline Sullivan goes on to write, But Justified offers little evidence of a genius in the making. Rather, the efforts of producers Timberlake 
Nolan and the Neptunes, which is part of Pharrell's writing duo, have been directed towards turning him into a high-gloss crooner. Thanks to his day job as one-fifth of NSYNC, Timberlake is already a pro in the field of suggestive mumbling, and now it's simply a matter of applying his technique to the familiar Timbaland Neptune productions. Okay, so back to my point of, in this article, they actually did acknowledge that he hadn't written this, so like, you can't give that much genius credit to him, which I appreciate. And then Caroline goes on to say, for the moment though, Timberlake and Michael Jackson have nothing in common but a taste for unflattering hats. Ooh, what a burn! So it's really funny because it's like, even though critics are pointing out, I don't know, the fact that he's trying so hard to be really cool, they're saying that he didn't really do it well, but yet the (laughs) album was received so well and like has gone three times platinum and all that. Well, I think that we've come to understand the difference between people who just digest music and people who live and breathe music and like have to focus on these things. And when you have the information that these people will have, I feel like you can make a more concise response to music rather than being like, oh, this is fun to listen to at the pool. Because I mean, I hadn't listened to this album in years. And when I was doing research for this, I found another article that mentioned about how Janet Jackson actually featured on a song on this album, which shocked me because that's even more hurtful that Justin did Janet so dirty after the Super Bowl. But yeah, I went and I listened to the, so- the songs and I was like, this is very good Miami pool party sort of music, you know? <laughs> Also, in this article titled Boy Wonder for The Guardian, written by Polly Vernon in 2002, she got to interview Justin Timberlake. And the interesting thing here also is that Justin's manager at the time, named Silas, has put together this like press thing. And so people get to interview him and he sort of introduces Justin to the world as a solo artist and whatever. And he keeps talking about how great Justin is and how down to earth he is and how he's like a sweetie pie and like all this stuff. And these are not words or things that I would ever describe Justin Timberlake as. But at the start of this article, and the thing that like hit me really hard and fits really well with the theme of today's episode is Polly acknowledges that historically, boy band refugees do not produce good solo albums. And because The Guardian is a British outlet... She goes, consider Gary Barlow, Ronan Keaton, Robbie Williams, nondescript early attempts. Because if you have any knowledge of early ex-British boy band members' music, it's very just like, I'm going to put music out there and I'm going to keep making money and I'm going to keep having girls want to have sex with me sort of vibes. And so I think that's really interesting. And also, again, with the checkboxes that I acknowledged earlier, which I sure hope you like wrote down to keep track of. To keep track of. She also goes that Justified is inventive and instant, grindingly raw and sexy. It's a truly great record. It's intensely R&B and hip-hop influence, yet it doesn't sound like anything else. But also in this article, she does be like, except for maybe early days like Stevie Wonder. or Prince. And so it's kind of like taking the piss out of it where it's like, yes, it sounds like nothing else, but also maybe like black people did it better. <laughs> which, which like, I'm, I'm just reading between the lines. That's not exactly what she said, but that's how I took it. I mean, yeah, fair. I don't know if there was prior examples of, I'm sure there was like prior examples of white artists using R&B, but this is the first example we can think of where it was a boy bander, where like he came from a very teen pop background and is trying to distance himself from that and show himself as an adult and using R&B to do that. 
earlier, I mentioned how these people seem to think that Justin helped write this album, when according to most of the other sources I found that are more recent, he didn't have that much to do with it. So Polly wrote in this article that Justin co-wrote every song on Justified, and then goes, but the album will do more than make him musically credible. It will do more even than allow him to bridge the yawning gap between NSYNC's target girly tweeny demographic and the infinitely more economically significant 18 to 35 year old scene. It will make 21 year old Timberlake the biggest internationally recognized singer of the moment, major league and enduring. And there we have it in black and white, Justin Timberlake trying to leave the target girl tweeny demographic behind. She said it better than I ever could. (laughs) Two thoughts come to mind, which is first off, that kind of came true because he was and is a really big deal. Like all of his albums have been a really big deal since then. But number two just confirms like essentially when we did this episode, the thesis was that boy banders try to distance themselves from the teen girl boy band days. And this article essentially confirms and proves it. And also goes to point out that, again, we just have to ask ourselves this question. Why? Why do they want to distance themselves? Why is having teen girls as fans bad? Yeah, and the thing is, is it's like moving up to the 18 to 35 year old scene doesn't really change the mindset or the thought process behind why these women listen to your music. They're still listening to your music because they want you to be their boyfriend. It's still that thing. You're still filling that void that like a teeny bopper pop star is filling that we've like discussed in past episodes of it's like when they're in a boy band or when they're like a solo pop star that's being fed to teen girls. It's like they're fitting into that mold of like, oh, this is a perfect boy, whatever. And then when they grow up, they try and be like, oh, this is like a guy I want in my bed instead of like the guy I want to like take me to the high school football game or whatever. And so it's just changing the idea. But I think also in a lot of these things that they're not really saying is it's like they not only want girls to want to fuck them, they want guys to want to fuck them. And that's why like they also come out chiseled and they have that like male gaze vibe where it's like they're ripped and they're like the quintessential much cheesemo viewpoint of like looks and vibes and all that sort of thing. I don't think it's that they want guys to want to fuck them. It's guys want to be them. Well, I don't think guys know that that's why they want to be them. You're giving men too much credit here, Sarah. (laughs) Let's be real. This was 2002. People were very homophobic. Well, no, I'm not saying in like a gay way. I'm saying in like the male gaze exists because of what men believe is appealing. So like what men find attractive in other men is what is fed to them, you know? So it's not actually in like a, I want to fuck him. It's in like a, he's attractive and interesting in the way that men find other men attractive and interesting. Also, you can be any age and enjoy music from boy bands. You don't have to be under the age of 18. So once again, we see the trope of critics minimizing the importance of fangirls of all ages. Because that's just the easiest thing to do. Also, I think it's funny that in this article, Polly pointed out that given his association with Spears and his saccharine, screamingly commercial pop past, it's not entirely clear how Timberlake got to collaborate Madonna style with the most credible names in hip hop and R&B production of Justified. And she went on to say that like the collaborators took some convincing in order to work with him, which I think is funny. (laughs) I love that. But I think also you can't 
can't look at Justin Timberlake, especially in 2002, and not see dollar signs. Yeah. Like, you know that even if it might be a little embarrassing and it might not be as good as it would have been if somebody else was singing those songs, you know that you're going to make money, you know that you're going to be successful, and that if it does well, you're probably going to get to work with him on other albums in the future. So I do think it's really interesting in that regard. So there was one other article from 2002 that we had found discussing this album that was written for MTV in 2002 was sort of talking about how Justified was like a sex dub album. And so they spoke to Justin Timberlake briefly about this album and like what the goals are. And once again, I will just point out that there is the acknowledgement that in making this album, Justin has a lot more funk in his step and a number of R&B artists have influenced his sound. So... Yeah. But anyway, when Justin's talking to MTV News, he says to them, I wanted to do something new that was just completely me. I had been so personally drained from the past six months and that made the emotion from the record much more real. Let's just let's just sit with that quote for a second, since we know he had not very much to do with the writing behind this album. Yeah, so I think it's funny that he's like, I want to do something completely me when the album was written for him. But maybe he meant like completely by himself where he can reinvent himself and be a new Justin apart from NSYNC. I think that's really what he meant. But (laughs) I just think it's funny how the quote is worded to make him sound like he did this all by himself. Yeah, it is interesting because I mean, also on this record, he did collaborate with a lot of people in hip hop, including, like I said earlier, Janet Jackson with the song and she said, take me now. And I just think it's interesting because this author for MTV News goes, the cut is easily the most sexually graphic song Timberlake has ever recorded. And Jackson's breathy vocals make the track sizzle with extra sensuality. And number one, I feel, again, even more mad about the Super Bowl incident because Justin Timberlake had Janet Jackson on his album singing the most sexually graphic song on the record. He did that for you, Justin. Okay. She did that for you. And this is how you repay her. (laughs) I'm just so mad about all of this. And it's just so frustrating. There's just so much to unpack here. But I think that it's just like, he really hit all of the tropes of like, these are the things that I'm going to do to to distance myself from boy bandhood, from teeny bopper fans, from all these things. Like, I'm going to do whatever I can to move into this adult sexual being that I want to be. And he quite literally took all the aspects from blackness that are cool and like took them and was like yep that's me now these are mine i'm cool because i'm making black music this is like a reoccurring trend and this is like case in point right here well we keep running into this issue and so as you'll learn when we spoke to fifi dobson who was trying to make it big in the same era that Justified came out, she was cornered into this thing where she was making pop rock music, but the label kept being like, we want you to make R&B music. This is who we want you to be. And it's because even though she's half black, she looks like a black person. And so it's like, she wasn't even given the opportunity really to fully own the style of music she wanted to do because of what she looked like. Meanwhile, Justin Timberlake's out here as a white man going into R&B music and nobody's batting an eye about it because white people can do whatever the fuck they want. And so we keep running into these issues. Yeah, and also pretty crazy to note that Fifi Dobson supported Justin Timberlake on his Justified tour. So like, is this all Justin Timberlake's fault? Wow, there's so so many things (laughs) tied back to each other. Wow. Since we've very much spent too long talking about our collective 
as a community arch nemesis Justin Timberlake because I don't know how any of you can like him anymore after everything we've talked about him. I thought that we would start into the trends of people copying this Justified album so to speak. And as I said before, we are not going chronologically. We are going most sexual to least sexual, most uncomfortable to least uncomfortable. How I personally felt while listening to these albums. (laughs) Can we get a little drum roll, please, for this next artist? (laughs) Of course. It would not be named three songs if we did not shit on Liam Payne a little bit in an episode about men. (laughs) I mean, we recently just did that episode on bisexuality with our friend Joseph Dubay and got to talk lots about Liam and his song Both Ways, but that wasn't the only thing from LP1 that's worth discussing. This whole album is worth discussing. This whole album is just a clusterfuck. So, as we all know, because we've talked about One Direction ad nauseum at the start of this podcast, One Direction went on hiatus in November of 2015, and Liam took his time before he put out a full-length album. So I feel like we were all expecting some sort of greatness. Because, I mean, his first single, Strip That Down, was actually pretty good. But he did do with his first single the thing that we already mentioned Justin Timberlake was doing, is very much so announcing that he's distancing himself from his boy band past. And, I mean, Liam, unlike Justin Timberlake, was just in the song, used to be in 1D, now I'm free. And this, I feel like... (laughs) set the precedent, and paved the way for the rest of Liam's solo career. His debut album, LP1, came out in 2019, and we're going to get into some reviews here. We have one from Pitchfork by Rawia Kamir, who writes that despite being a UK tabloid fixture, he's been unable to convey a discernible personality or any personality at all. Even with a built-in global audience of millions, it's unclear who this collection of middling songs could possibly resonate with. Former Directioners clamoring for a solo Liam album, new fans seeking nondescript paint-by-numbers pop, and they go on to write, In recent press, Payne has hinted at the complexity of his life post One Direction, including fatherhood, brushes with substance abuse, and frustration with accepting his role as the band's most boring member, but he draws little inspiration from that wealth of real-life experience and instead relies on insane songwriting concepts, rote misogyny, and feelings of flexing. Wow. (laughs) They just absolutely grilled him. I mean, first off, coming off with the fact that he doesn't have a personality, which I feel like we were all kind of feeling, because this is the thing with Liam, is we talked about, again, in our episode with Joseph about bisexuality, Liam Payne coming out of One Direction it felt very lost. Like he didn't know who he was because he was told who he was in One Direction, but he didn't actually know who he was. So then he's just like floating in the ether for four years. And they go to point out he's dealt with real life stuff, fatherhood, substance abuse. He later spoke about how he was going to therapy, but he doesn't put any of that into his music. Instead, it's just very like surface level hot garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think... Liam definitely, I think, had just, like, a bit of an existential crisis of trying to figure out who he was, which is completely understandable because he was, like, assigned a role and he took that role more seriously than I think any of the other members of the band did, just to give Liam some slack here, you know? He's been through a lot. I think for the three years in between One Direction breaking up and him putting out this first album, he 
very much was trying on personas until he found something that he felt like suited him. But then he sort of also, once the album was back and realized that people were like, this isn't what we wanted from you. I think he sort of backpedaled a bit of being like, yeah, I was like figuring my shit out, whatever. I mean, it is worth noting that this is also the time period where Liam suddenly got a lot more tattoos. He went to the gym a lot and then he started doing underwear modeling. So he very much kind of just like jumped off the deep end into like, I'm an adult, I can do what I want. And was embracing that bad boy vibe. And then on the record, again, we have these like hip hop and R&B influences. I think that Liam very much was like, I don't want to be daddy direction. I want to be daddy direction. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah, you said it. <laughs> I mean, quite literally. There's so many things that were happening and that have happened that sort of just point at Liam very much wanting to be viewed. Like, he wanted to claim his manhood, which compared to Justin Timberlake, like, I don't really blame Liam in the same way. I think that Liam's album is completely tone deaf in a lot of degrees. Like, I just think that so much of what he was singing about was way too smacking in the face with, hey, I have sex, compared to Justin Timberlake's album, which was a bit more covert in the message that was going on there. Like, it was sexual, but not like, oh, wow, I know how Justin Timberlake likes to fuck. Like, I know how Liam Payne likes to fuck now, and I do not Uh... need to know that, you know? But I think... Since the album's come out, Liam's gone through a lot of growth, as we've seen in interviews he's done and live streams he's done and other things that he's done. Like, he very much is showing his fans how much he cares about them and how much he's acknowledging what they're feeling about things. And, like, he's trying to be more open about what he's been through. So I think we should give credit where credit is due in that he has sort of distanced himself from his Justified album, unlike Justin Timberlake, who... Similarly to Maroon 5, it's like, why are you so famous? Like, I get that the music is decent, but like, who is the demo there? Like, I don't understand it, you know? But with that being said, we are talking specifically about these Justified sort of albums. And I think Jenna and my collective favorite journalist, Laura Snapes, as always, did the best takedown review ever for The Guardian. And this review is titled Liam Payne LP1 Review. Beware, former 1D member on the prowl. which is like my favorite thing ever and I think explains it a lot but she goes straight in for the jobs referring to Liam Payne as being cast as Mr. Boring and she said quote getting cast as Mr. Boring was annoying he explained yielding him the least screams from fans happily for Payne solo freedoms has let him reap maximum screens and embraces officiousness. And so she goes on to say, despite LP1's effortful attempts to cast Payne as a sexual piranha, the 26-year-old generally comes off as an uptight scold. Ooh. (laughs) And my personal favorite song, I'm being facetious, on this album, Rude Hours, she calls out because she goes, the thrumming Rude Hours finds him inviting a lady to a, quote, parking lot. Quote, might be a bad idea, he admits. I'll probably do your ass in the car, unquote. But never let it be said that Payne is boring and responsible. Quote, key unlocks the door, ticket on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. What beautiful imagery to really give him the bad boy image. 
I'm obsessed, and I continue to be obsessed as she goes on to say, Such are the accidental highs of an album empty of intentional humor, heart, or anything much human at all beyond base carnality. Its generic trap and Latin-tinged production and its many guest rappers suggest Payne is trying to keep pace with Drake and The Weeknd. But he can't, because his rank randiness lacks a sense of guilty pleasure that makes his Canadian contemporaries irresistible. She literally... She ruined him. Liam Payne's body is on the floor of the Guardian's office. <laughs> wow, that hurts, man. I feel bad for Liam. I'm sorry this happened to you, Liam. Sorry you made these choices. Also worth noting that this album peaked at number 111 on the Billboard 200. Unlike oh. Justin Timberlake's rapid oh. success, Liam Payne not so fortunate with his debut album. That makes me sad. Yeah. But also, Liam Payne has very little to do with the writing of most of these songs. And Ed Sheeran, unsurprisingly, has more to do with writing of these songs than I would have ever wanted to know about. (laughs) So Liam had actually very little to do with the writing of the lyrics of this album. So I don't know if that helps or whatever. Again, I don't hate Liam Payne. Well, okay, you know what? Contrastingly, when we're going to talk about Zayn Malik in a little bit here, Zayn said in interviews, like, somebody asked him, would you rather be successful or real? And he said real because people can see through fakeness and if you're real, you will be successful. Whereas Liam, this album is super fake. Like, you just said, Liam didn't have a lot to do with the writing of the lyrics and it showed. People knew. It was obvious. And that's probably why he didn't get very good reviews with this. Well, that's similar also because like we're gonna also touch on Jesse McCartney a bit towards the end of this episode in that Jesse McCartney never went full throttle into justified area, but he did move more towards R&B. And he said that like at first his fans were kind of like questioning the move of music styles but once they realized the like honesty behind it they were gung-ho and continued to be his fans so i think that that's what we see here with liam is that liam's fans were kind of like we can tell that this is dishonest and like you're not being true to yourself by putting out this music and i think that that was a lot of the disconnect and i think that since then liam has acknowledged that and i feel like i'm genuinely looking forward to seeing what he comes out with next because i think that he definitely has grown a shit ton since this album's release yeah i agree this was kind of like a lower point for him and he's since been able to recover somewhat Mm -hmm. and so since zane is more self-aware than some other people he is not next on the uncomfortable scale next on the uncomfortable scale is obviously 2015's purpose by justin bieber (laughs) dun 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 So Justin Bieber, while he's essentially the same age as the One Direction boys, Justin Bieber was famous from a lot younger age. Baby came out in 2010 when he would have been like 15, 16. And as we mentioned in the beginning, was very much a teeny bopper boy. And so Purpose was Justin Bieber's third album, depending on whether or not you count his Underneath the Mistletoe album. We're not going to count it for this purpose. So it's third album, which came out in 2015. And it was very much his first attempt at trying to distance himself from the teeny bopper image and since it came out in 2015 he would have been approximately 21 and the thing that's interesting here is like it makes sense to want to have your music mature and to take it to this next level but i just think that it's really interesting that in 
regards to Justin Timberlake. So Justin Timberlake, it's his first solo album. So he's right out the gate going like that. Liam Payne, again, first solo album, right out the gate, whatever. Justin Bieber is different because Justin Bieber wasn't in a boy band. Justin Bieber was a solo artist from the get-go. And the thing that is frustrating is, is that Purpose very much just went full force into completely changing genre, completely changing vibe, completely being like, look at me, I'm an adult, this is who I am now, you know? And I feel like if he had sort of eased people into it, it would have been a much different sort of... It just would have been, like, different in the, like, pop culture zeitgeist of things because I don't think necessarily that Purpose was a bad album or anything like that, but I do think that as somebody who wasn't a fan it was just like a casual listener of Justin Bieber it was kind of like a shock to the system to all of a sudden have this person I viewed as like this sugary sweet pop boy put out this album that's very much like I'm an adult now this is my life this is who I am for me so I'm not very close to these records so this is kind of an outsider's impression of this because his singles off of this were like what do you mean and like love yourself i don't feel like sonically it was that drastic of a switch i mean if you think about it like hip-hop and r&b has underlying pop tones and especially like in 2015 these genres were already being mixed so much so they could still qualify as like pop music i feel like it was more so his image that changed and especially like the album cover and how he was presenting himself that was really kind of making it obvious he was trying to push away from his previous teen boy image i think also just like lyrically the themes of the songs were very much like i am now a man but I think that you definitely have hit the point of like his image very much changed. And I think that he was trying so hard. We sort of talked about this a bit in the Justin Bieber episode that we did have, although we were regrettably too nice to the man, <laughs> is that he very much went through this like bad boy phase in the public eye. So I think in conjunction with the album, I just think that this purpose era of Justin Bieber is yeah. what makes... Which is why this fits in the middle of the uncomfortable sexual scale. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So Pitchfork reviewed this record. A writer named Brad Nielsen writes, The advanced singles for Justin Bieber's purpose showcased his best performances to date while hinting at a successful transition beyond teen pop. And yet, the full record too often comes off like a redemptive PowerPoint presentation while suggesting that the singer's idea of adulthood involves the ability to convey pettiness without emotional intelligence. (laughs) I love how he's like praising him and also burning him at the same time. (laughs) I know, it's so iconic. And he goes on to write, Purpose is less an album than a deliberate act of repositioning. As much as 2010's Believe was intended as Justin Bieber's micro-adjustment into adulthood, the advanced singles for Purpose, What Do You Mean and Sorry, are his first hits without any traces of teen pop. So I think both you and Brad here are right in what you're saying, in that pop definitely has so much going into it of like different genres. It's very much like a mixing bowl of sounds. But most of these songs, I think, have enough of a step away from it and into the more hip-hoppy vibes of music and that's also ticking that box on the list of like what it takes to classify something as being a justified sort of album yeah yeah no i think lyrical content definitely plays into that and also this debuted at number one on billboard 200 
So a much more successful attempt for Justin Bieber. While this Pitchfork review was critical of him, I think that overall this album was really well received by the public. Well, yeah, I mean, we mentioned this in, again in that episode about Justin, but like this was the album where guys were like, oh, is Justin Bieber talented? Like, does Justin Bieber have a skill? Oh, wow. Like, yeah. should we be paying attention to Justin Bieber? I mean, even on that record, he just worked with a lot more respected people. There is a GQ interview with Justin Bieber called Justin Bieber Would Like to Reintroduce Himself. This was in 2016 by a writer named Katie Weaver, who points out that because Justin Bieber had this like troubled teen past that we all got to publicly witness of him with the monkey and him mooning friends when he was at Mayan ruins in Tulum. Like there's a whole thread of events that happened with Justin Bieber. He embarked on a whirlwind public apology tour. He sat down for a chat with Ellen. He smoldered on the cover of Seventeen alongside the statement, I was disappointed in myself. He bought dinner for cops. And then last fall, Justin Bieber did the most prudent thing he could possibly have done to earn the world's forgiveness. He released an album of face-melting bangers. So again, we're setting the stage here for Justin Bieber's troubled teen years. He's putting that all behind him because he's matured and grown up, and this album is a new way of coming out and proving that. Well, 2015 was also the year of the very infamous Comedy Central roast. So that also puts Justin Bieber in that sort of pop culture moment of well-respected comedians are roasting Justin Bieber. He's being treated like an adult. He's being treated like he hasn't been seen as a joke by like quote-unquote respected people in pop culture for the past five years of his career. And I mean like as I said earlier like on this record and comparatively to Justin Timberlake and Liam Payne, Justin Bieber is the first person listed in the writing credits for every single song on purpose. So Justin was fully in control of these songs and he also had people featured on stuff like Big Sean and Travis Scott and like even Halsey featured on this album so there were just a lot of people that were involved in these songs and in this creation of this record who have really good track records like Julia Michaels and other people of that sort of ilk and I think that just goes to show just that while he was trying to distance himself from that, he still very much was like, I'm doing it with my own story, with my own vision. To your point of him writing the songs, like he is a self-made artist. Even though yeah. he was discovered and propelled into stardom really early and really quickly, he was a self-made artist. Like he has the talent of writing his own songs. Whereas when you're put into a boy band, a lot of times you don't even have that autonomy, especially to begin with. And sometimes you earn that autonomy as you grow with the band. But that's why like Justin Timberlake and Liam Payne, they hadn't really written music before. That's why they were kind of handed those albums. Whereas like Justin Bieber deserves more credit for putting in the work of actually doing this. And with that being said of somebody having the wherewithal to come and be like, I'm going to write my Escape from Teenhood album. Zayn Malik did the same thing with Mind of Mine. And I think that, like, his exit from One Direction, while it definitely, like, with that first single of Pillow Talk was like, hey, look at me, I left a boy band and now I fuck. I think that at least he was thinking about his own fucking experience. Well, yeah, I mean, that is a good point. His songs are his songs. 
every song on Mind of Mine, Zayn Malik is the first writing credit. And he tends to write with this guy called Chase Wells, as well as James Ho. And they are featured quite heavily as co-writing credits on this album. But compared to most of these other songs, other than two of them, most of them don't have more than four writers on them. So Zayn very much had a lot of hand writing his Escape from Teen Pop Star Stardom album. Yeah, and I mean, like in interviews that Zayn has done since leaving the band, he said that even when he was younger, even when he was in One Direction, like he very much wanted to do R&B music and he didn't mesh with the songs that they were giving them, which was pop and pop rock. And like, even when they had opportunities to do writing, he would suggest more R&B lyrical melodies and they always vetoed it. So it makes a lot of sense that like this whole time he knew what he wanted to do. So when he was given the opportunity to do his first record, he was finally able to like channel that creative energy and do something that he he wanted to do. And so while this record definitely distanced himself from the boy band Shine and took him a step away and sort of into the world of people other than the expected fans of boy bands to be interested in, I think that, as we said earlier, there is the honesty there. People who paid attention and cared about Zayn, like, in the fandom world were like, this makes sense. There was no reason to be mad about the album that Zayn created and what he put out. And also on top of that, it's like when you have that already known interest in like R&B and then you come out and you do something like that, it's less so a show of like, oh, look, like this is what everybody does. Although I do think it's still interesting that like R&B is the direct stepping stone away from boy bandness. But I think also in Rhythm and Blues, there is sort of that vibe and that like sensualness to the sounds of that music that gives you sort of that automatic step away even if all of the songs aren't because like Mind of Mine doesn't really have like a bunch of songs that are like yeah I fuck. Pillow Talk was like an out the gate single of like yeah I fuck but the rest of the album has that like sexy vibe but doesn't necessarily have every song having lyrics that are like should I be listening to this? Yeah. Like, it, it just feels normal. Yeah. And it feels like, I mean, even with what Zayn has said in interviews and whatnot, talking about since, you know, leaving One Direction, since writing this album, it feels like he was able to, like, take that year and work on himself and find himself and really focus on what he personally wanted to be doing and then be able to channel that into his art, which I think is really great. And I'm happy to see that he was able to do that in, like, a very tasteful way. So Zayn comes out the gate with his first single in Pillow Talk. And I think that Pillow Talk got a lot more interest and intrigue because not only was this his first song, but he also debuted his relationship with Gigi Hadid in the video. And I just remember when I was working at the entertainment news site that I was at (laughs) that we were all screaming about the fact that it looked like Zayn was trying to prove that he fucked but it looked like he never kissed his girlfriend in his life because it was like the most uncomfortable music video we'd ever watched but so there were two articles that really stood out to us that talked about Pillow Talk and in Newsweek Deepo Faloyan wrote and it's the same thing that we've been saying time and time again of like that R&B thing so they go Malik hopes that the R&B soaked record and its accompanying video consisting of the obligatory supermodel draped around topless rebel imagery will prove his acrimonious split from the band in March 2015 was worth it, proving that his talents were wasted when limited to singing about how much fun having fun was. 
I think that that really hits the nail on the head with what Zane was doing. What do you think, Jenna? Yes. And I mean, we spoke about his kind of like rebel imagery previously, where he was the mysterious one in One Direction. And he said in interviews that like he wasn't really given a chance to talk. And so he felt like he was kind of stigmatized because of that. And so now he's still kind of playing into the bad boy imagery, but I think it feels a lot more authentic. A hundred percent. And I think that in this article, like Depot hits again the nail on the head by comparing the release of Pillow Talk to Justin Bieber's purpose and saying how this reemergence as an artist who adults can now legitimately like without having to frame it as a guilty pleasure. I think that that's really interesting because again, that sort of goes to show of like you change your genre a little bit and now all of a sudden it's okay for adult humans to listen to it. And I think most of the time the hidden underlying text of the adults means men but again that's my bias showing yeah or just the fangirl stigma in general and so billboard also reviewed this music video when it came out and zane spoke with the sunday times talking about the song's content saying everybody has sex and it's something people want to hear about it's part of everybody's life a very big part of my life (laughs) he said which is quite a funny way to put it but he's just letting us know hey he's an adult he has sex he can do what he wants and the writer goes on to say if pillow talk is anything to go by malik has left a bubblegum pop behind from here on it's slick r&b quote a place that is so pure so dirty and raw be in the bed all day bed all day bed all day fucking you and fighting on (laughs) those were the lyrics so um he has rightfully certified his place into sexy adulthood with this R&B single. And so speaking of moving your way into sexy adulthood and people just being okay with it and not uncomfy with it and just being like, this is their journey. We're okay. We obviously, of course, have Nick Jonas. So after the Jonas Brothers split in 2013, Nick Jonas quickly went on to work on a solo album. So 2014, he releases his self-titled album, Nick Jonas. And his first single from this album was a song called Chains, which very much is just Nick Jonas being like, yeah, I fuck. And it's basically as uncomfortable as Pillow Talk is. The song starts with the lyrics, with her wine-stained lips, she's nothing but trouble. Cold to the touch, but she's warm as a devil. I gave her my heart, but she wanted my soul. She takes till I break, and I can't get more. And the chorus just talks about how you got me in chains. You got me in chains for your love. So there's so much to unpack there, and so much intrigue and interest, and I can't get over it. And I think that my remembrance of Nick Jonas's solo career mainly revolves around the song Jealous and that song making me uncomfortable but now that I've discovered Chains I don't know if he should be moved up higher on the list but (laughs) I have no recollection of these songs or this album so I will let you share your opinions here. I feel like Nick Jonas's solo career was one that existed and didn't exist simultaneously somehow like I think that it was a big deal but also not a big deal and I don't know how that's possible but I think that his jump into the more R&B style music and these sort of things fits in the same way that it fit with Zayn in that like 
the Jonas Brothers very much were like a self-made band. Their music was growing and changing as they were getting older. It wasn't surprising that he would make a switch of style of music. Because again, when you're in a band, you have to collectively agree on what style of music you're doing. And there are different tones in people's voices and like all that sort of stuff. So I think that this made a lot of sense. And in 2015, Mickey Rapkin for Elle writes about... Nick Jonas's release of the song Jealous. And what they write is that when the Jonas Brothers called it quits in 2013, Nick was able to hit the reset button on his career and abandon the Disney industrial complex forever. He ditched the infamous purity ring the Jonas Brothers had famously vowed to save themselves until marriage in favor of six-pack abs and a surprisingly hot solo career that's drawn comparisons to another child star made good, Justin Timberlake. And I think that that's very much what the case is. And like Britney Spano said for Rolling Stone, the album is very much a sexy throwback R&B album that is clearly meant to just like shed his old image but I think that he did it more tastefully than Justin Timberlake in a lot of ways but also once again we have an album that is predominantly written by the person singing the songs so these come from a place of Nick being like this is my actual personal journey whereas Justin Timberlake and Liam Payne's were coming from other people's personal ideas of what their personal journeys were. But also in this L article, they do go on to interview Nick Jonas, and he did make some comments that I think are more uncomfortable than any music he's ever put out. Yeah, so they asked him about the purity ring situation, and he said that his view on sex had changed over the years, and that, quote, as a 22-year-old man, I'm a man in all ways, and I'm comfortable with that. It's freeing now to be transparent. (laughs) And then they go on to ask if he's ever had sex to his own music, which he says no. And they kind of egg him on saying, come on. And he's like, it's a no-fly zone. It's so awkward. I've never even tried. And then they're joking around and he basically says that his song Jealous is a good tempo for sex. (laughs) But like, while those are cringy, it was prompted by the interviewer. Oh, 100%. But I just think it's funny that like you leave a boy band and suddenly you're asked about like, oh, do you have sex to these songs? Do you imagine people having sex to this song? Did you write this in hopes that people would fuck to this song? Because I mean, Zane got asked similar questions too. So I just think that it is quite interesting in that regard. But I think compared to the rest of the people on this list, like Nick Jonas's foray into Justin Timberlake syndrome is not that exciting because I think also that once the Jonas Brothers came back in general, they were all like, we all fuck. (laughs) Here are our sexy wives. (laughs) Like their constant journey has been, yeah, we fuck. Yeah, I mean, it felt like from Disney, it was like a quick rise into adulthood for them and one that maybe wasn't as surprising as what we've seen with other boy bander types. Well, I think also just like everybody sort of knows a bit, especially at that point, about the chokehold that Disney has on artists. So I think that the need to sort of hide your blossoming adulthood as an artist working with Disney is very well known. So I think that it was more accepted and less sort of like mocked because people were like, they wanted to get out. This is them proving that they had to get out. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And speaking of Disney Channel, we do have another star who was on Hollywood Records. None other than Jesse McCartney and his beautiful soul. (laughs) So 
Jesse McCartney is interesting because Jesse McCartney was signed to Hollywood Records for most of his career when he was in the limelight. And I think as a common occurrence, like we talked about briefly in our Disney burnout episode, is that Hollywood Records, once they stop seeing dollar signs, they stop pushing your music and they stop sort of caring. And so Jesse McCartney, he started his career in the boy band Dream Street. So he's been doing music for like most of his life. And his music was very much always love song croonery. But there are always sort of like hints at him being a teenage boy, like an adult, like that there were other things going on there than just sugar sweet goodness. And so in 2009, when he released the song Body Language, I think that people were not as shook of him leaving behind this good boy image because it was just like a little taste of it. It wasn't a whole album. He wasn't going full swing ahead into here I am, here is me as a sexual being but he was sort of slowly moving into the world of more R&B style music, which he said in an interview that his audience, like his fans, were definitely giving him some mixed reviews about it. But he goes, I think the one thing that came across was the honesty. As soon as you're dishonest, the fans are the first people to tell you. But it was an organic transition for me, given that this is what I was comfortable singing. And so his fans jumped aboard the ship. And then he went on to say that as his music sort of of started to get more into the style that he really wanted to be doing, that his audience was growing from predominantly female bands to including some guys. And so Jesse says to Jocelyn Vanna for MTV that I see a lot of my audience as mainly girls, but I see a lot of their boyfriends coming now that never would have happened four years ago. They're curious, which you know how I feel about these kind of comments. It's funny because Jesse McCartney was the blueprint for Justin Bieber. He was the solo cutesy blonde boy before Justin Bieber. And I kind of feel like 2019, 2010, when he put out the singles Body Language and then Shake, I feel like he kind of already had his peak and he was kind of like on the downward trend Mm -hmm. already, as much as I hate to say it. So it wasn't as big of a deal because he wasn't as in the limelight as he was when he was younger. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. Like he was doing movies and TV and he was still definitely doing a lot of stuff. But I think his music was sort of uh, a constant of like his fans aren't going anywhere, but maybe new fans aren't coming. But I mean, he was supposed to release his fourth studio album in 2011 on Hollywood Records, but the president of the label was replaced and that delayed the release and then they wound up dropping him. So the album has never seen the light of day. And when he's spoken about this potential release of the album. It sounds very much like this fourth album that never saw the light of day was very much going to be his Justified record. And I personally, as a day one Jesse McCartney stan, I'm kind of thankful that this album never came out because in 2010, he once again speaks to Jocelyn Venna from MTV. And he basically was telling her about how while on Departure, which was his third album, he had touched on sexier R&B tracks, that this next album was going to be even more so into that light. And basically, like, the goal had been to make this album a sexier sort of record, incorporating more of that R&B sound and pop melodies and all that sort of stuff to make club night sort of music. So I do think his career was going in a very interesting trajectory. 
that we never really got to see it take place in. But Jesse McCartney does very little interviews, so we don't really have that much information about the boundaries he was trying to break in creating new music. Although that record was being produced by Sean Garrett, Kevin Rudolph, and Tyga. So... (laughs) (laughs) Wow, yeah, no, I feel like we definitely would have been in for a wild ride on that one. He might have ranked higher. We don't know. He could have ranked higher in this list if the album had come out. Yeah, so right now, Jesse McCartney is still widely respected by the Name Three Songs camp, so we're thankful to Hollywood Records for running away screaming from this blonde-haired beauty. (laughs) So I think that we've touched on a ton of really interesting points today. And so my question, Jenna, is are there any other artists that you think did something similar that didn't really fit within this that more so like changed their image in a more looks and outwardly and like lifestyle sort of way than music that would fit the idea of like, oh, this person came out and was now like, oh, look at me, I fuck, (laughs) but didn't do it musically. I don't know. Because there's only so many like boy bander types that have existed within the pop zeitgeist, right? Yeah. I feel like Shawn Mendes tried. Yeah. Because like Shawn Mendes would be younger than Justin Bieber. But I don't know what his music was like before Senorita sort of era when he started getting major airtime and the music was sexy. I feel like he's been consistently well respected. Yeah. So I don't know. But if you guys are listening and you have any thoughts, you should come let us know. But I would say overall, this conversation has been really interesting and enlightening and totally proved your justified theory right. I've never felt, like, I feel even more valid now than I did about my Disney Hollywood records nonsense. Because you just, like, said this for so long (laughs) that I was just, like, went along with it. At first I was like, is that really a thing? And then you said it so much, I was like, sure, it's a thing. And now that we actually did it, I was like, oh, okay, you were right. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really, it's really interesting. And I just would love to pass this off to you guys to hear if you have any singers that we might have missed out on, if there's anybody who is sort of towing the line doing something like this do you think harry styles maybe fit in here i didn't i vetoed him so i'd love to hear your thoughts you can come share those with us on social media we are at name three songs on all socials or you can talk to us personally i'm at sarah underscore fagan and jenna is at jenna underscore million so thank you for joining us this week on name three songs until next time never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band And remember, you're never too cool to listen to Zayn Malik. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really help. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit Name3Songs.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.